You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. Seth here, and I am joined by Mark Ross-Smith, uh, most senior super consultant executive at New World Loyalty. He doesn't actually have a title. Uh, he told me to make something up, and that's the best I could do. The most senior super loyalty. I like that. Um, this is going to be a bit long for the business card, but we'll, we'll make it work. Uh, yeah. Mark used to run the Enriched Loyalty Program at Malaysia Airlines um, and is no longer doing that, but has done that and a lot of other bits in the loyalty space before and agreed, I believe I owe him now several beers in Singapore, so this may be the most expensive production episode ever <laughs> of Dots Lines, but gonna uh, agreed to sit and chat a little bit today about some of the stuff he's seen in the industry over the years and sort of where it's going. Um, so welcome. Thanks, Seth. Great, uh, great to be here. I want to... Oh, you go first. You, you had a look on your face. You were going to say something else. I was just going to add to the introduction there. We're a new loyalty. We're, we're a bunch of... Uh, oh, yeah, we're a bunch of guys we've, and girls. We've, we've all been in senior management airline or run an airline loyalty program at Korea. Uh, I think 16 of us around the world. So okay. a, lot, a lot of experience there. And it's, it's kind of cool to share what's happening in different parts of the world because, you know, yeah. what we see that's worked in, in Southeast Asia would never work in North America. Well, and it's, actually, it's, it's good that you bring that up because we've had these conversations at conferences never in North America now that I think about it. But we've done some few in London, few in Asia, sort of China. China, yeah. yeah. Uh, we've had some of these chats, but how different is loyalty globally? Like, is are there people like in Europe that are listening to this podcast every week and being like, these guys don't know what the fuck they're talking about? I mean, I assume half the people listening in America also say that about us. But when we talk about loyalty stuff, is is it is it really that different? I think so. In well, I mean, I think most people in the industry understand that loyalty is traditionally is credit cards, co-brands, elite status, yeah. airline lounges, this sort of stuff. It's the it's the shiny cards, it's the miles, and especially in North America, it's, it's really driven by interchange of the banks, which is uh, it's not regulated down like it is in a lot of Southeast Asian countries. All of Europe's regulated down. And so, just for our listeners to understand, that's the one. I swipe my card, my Visa card. The merchant pays two, three, four percent to the bank. The yeah. bank gives me some cut of that back in terms of points. Exactly. Short exactly. version. Exactly. Okay. And in the rest of the world, outside North America, basically, you can't get four percent; you get a half percent. Different countries, different regions. So Europe's regulate 0.4%, which is is, is virtually nothing. Uh, yeah. Malaysia, where I live, is uh, under one percent. Australia is under one percent. Uh, Singapore, where we are now, is is um, is not regulated yet. So. Uh, that, a lot of that drives the, the credit card and the bank loyalty usage. And of okay. course, the more airline miles you own with the bank, the more you're likely to fly, the more invested in the program, because suddenly you're building your, your miles balance up faster than you otherwise would if you were just flying. So it's capturing people that are not necessarily frequent flyers, but maybe frequent spenders. Sure. Yeah. So this is really big, obviously, in North America, uh, where your, your ability to earn miles is greatly increased compared to other regions. Therefore, the way you... Uh, look at loyalty programs, the way you interact with the program, the way you fly, the, just your whole the mind shift is different to Southeast Asia, and especially Southeast Asia, low-cost airlines rule supremely. I mean, uh, Air Asia dominates Asia. It's, right. it's massive. It's a very strong brand here. Uh, you know, the loyalty program could, could be better, I think. Um, and, and but, so, but does it have to be better? Right, that's the, you sort of made the argument that if you've got the loyal, if you've got customers loyal to your brand anyways... You've got you've got the ser- you've got the service that they like. You've got the wrap structure they like, and you're in theory cheap. Uh, does the do the points matter at that point? I think let's, let's look at Delta for a second. Okay, <laughs> another airline where people generally like the product a lot. That, that's exactly right. They, they're pretty good operationally. You, yeah, you can rely on them. They've got a good, strong brand. They're pretty solid. They they haven't made drastic changes in the market. And it's it's like you fly Delta because they're a good airline. They've got a pretty good product. Yeah, uh, and and the loyalty kind of follows along. 
Sure. Whereas, uh, dare I say, look at American Airlines. You know, the loyalty program is kind of pulling passengers along. It's it's the it's the leading product they have. It's you know they got they got issues there, and so you can you can you can get over some delays. You can get over you know bad food. You can get over average lounges if there's an awesome loyalty program because that's kind of making you forget things. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a bit of a different strategy for loyalty. And in Southeast Asia, for low cost airlines, do they need a loyalty program? Yeah. Well, I mean they. They all do deals with banks yeah. for points and miles, obviously, and that's that's new cash into the business, high margin cash as well. Yeah. And for low cost airlines, margin means everything. Exactly. So there's a lot of co-brand cards here. Uh, they look and feel a bit different to North American cards. Like they got debit cards here, airline co-brands as well. Very popular. That's interesting. I mean, here Singapore or here Malaysia or both? That's that's Malaysia. Okay, because it's interesting that there's a debit card with the regulated ah. with the regulated interchange. Yeah, they look a bit different. Like they're not one mile per dollar you spend, it might be get this card uh, and so like in, 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 in Malaysia, there's a, the Asia Big Pay. Okay. Uh, it's, a, it's a prepaid MasterCard. And when you use that card to pay to Asia.com, you, you get like a, these discounts on baggage and uh, you don't pay transaction fees on the website. So it's, it's a different type of okay. so loyalty. Insta- you're not, your loyalty isn't the points. It's Brand. direct. It's branding, but then it's direct discount on these stuff you should be using as a frequent traveler. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So okay. yeah, I mean, I could argue that, especially in this market, uh, or what I what I think of as the LCC market in Asia, which may be completely wrong, the value of free check bags is greater to me than the value of points I could collect for a future flight. When I bought my tickets around, I flew from Hanoi to KL to see you uh, a couple days ago, I paid $120 all in for that ticket, which was expensive, you know, in AirAsia, I thought, but whatever. Uh, it's three and a half hours. I probably barely covered the cost anyway, but it was... $80 in, I want to say it's about $75 or $80 for the fare. And then I had to check a bag that was reasonably heavy. So $25 for the bag, $10 or $8 for the seat. No, maybe less than that. I didn't get, I did a hot seat, but not the extra legroom hot seat. So I think like $8 for the seat. The front row seats. Row two. Bulkhead. Yeah, not yeah. bulkhead. Not bulkhead. I did row two. So they're hot seats. So you're at the front of the plane, but they don't have an extra legroom. Say so fast, fast off. Fast on, fast off, and an empty middle. Yeah. Um, and Sounds I like British Airways is fast in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, bless you. Uh, <laughs> the uh, but the other part of it was I bought two meals. So in fact, I had better food than British Airways business class in Europe because <laughs> I bought two hot meals on AirAsia. Uh, but that was another ten dollars. Um, so I think that altogether got me to my one twenty-five. But if my bag fee was by half and I was saving ten dollars on every flight I took. That would be more valuable to me than the points I could have earned on an $80 ticket, right? I mean, sure, sure. The, at the earn rates that you get in the States, it's five per dollar, 80 that's 400 points. Nominally, that's about $4 worth of points, maybe six if you get a good redemption. I get 10 every time for a half-price bag. That's actually a better value. Yeah. Yep, agree. And, and as a big loyalty program is revenue-based yeah. points earning as well. And, and it does a good job of keeping you loyal to AirAsia specifically, not even us and our partners, us and, and, and third party, whatever. So that's, it's an interesting, it's, I guess that sort of goes back to the question, is, is it really that different here? And we've come the long way around to say maybe it is. It's, it's a different passenger profile as well. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of uh, locals, a lot of business people sort of jetting around Southeast Asia. Um, also booking one-way tickets. Okay. One way is a big thing here, whereas you know other areas it's it's, it's round trips, right? You know, uh, whereas here you can you can always you know buy your one way, then your one way, then your one way, one way, just to, to keep moving around Asia. together. Yeah, pretty common. Pretty Done common. a bit of that. Exactly. <laughs> and you, you know, it's the low cost airlines here; they price the one way tickets as half the cost of return. Right. Whereas a premium legacy airline, a one way, you, you, you're selling the kidney to pay for that thing because it's it's more expensive than return. <laughs> sure. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think. Uh, 
the going back to the credit card bit um, again, I really yeah. get. I'm a little obsessed with that because um, it is in my world how I earn my points. I don't earn anything from flying anymore. Basically, I mean, there's some, but not nearly enough. It's mistake fares I get a little from flying, but from in the real world, like I, I buy cheap economy tickets when I fly a transcon in the United States. I earn a couple, you know, maybe a thousand points if I'm lucky. It's just not that much, but I earn thousands a month from credit card base globally. You know, in in Europe, that's not the case. So in in Asia, that's not the case, both because the fares are cheaper and whatever else. I mean, we talked about Asia. How does it translate to Europe then? How does how do you see that difference applying there? Right. I mean, if you're not you're you're not giving away cheap bags because that's not as much a thing. Um, there is some with like the the EasyJet has its plus card where you can get I think discounted on priority boarding or something like that. But that's a paid it's a paid, it's a paid program. That's a paid program. Um, but it's still loyalty, but it's a paid program. Um, but generally speaking, the loyalty programs there don't have those things and also don't have you know, great points earning. So what's the loyalty play there? Hope and pray? I think my external observation is they're just trying to be really good airlines yeah. and not rely so much on loyalty. I mean, you look at the changes that the big airline groups over there are making to their loyalty programs. Yeah. Uh, most recently, Lufthansa Lots just... just Changed things. Changed, put it nicely. Uh, you know, is it's, uh, because there's no... Uh, the economics are different from banks and the co-brand is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're forced to focus on people buying tickets because yeah. that's, that's the driver. Because loyalty programs ultimately are about making people feel good. And if you feel good, you'll be more brand loyal, you'll spend more with the airline. And when you do that, you, you're investing yourself in the airline more. So then when things go wrong with the airline, which inevitably they do in sure. all air travel, you, you kind of you, you kind of ride the bumps a bit more. You know, you're, you, you're not so concerned about the 10-minute delay because, well, you know, loyalty's not good on yeah. investing in the program. So you kind of smooth around it's the more edges. Time with my, it's more time with my friends here. Exactly. <laughs> so it's, it's, just, it's, it's different economics for them. It's all about the airline, whereas in North America, Arguably, it's all about the loyalty program. Yeah, I remember there's uh, articles floating around saying that the, the loyalty programs work more than the airline. Europe totally different. Asia it's different again. You know, in, in Asia is very interesting because there's a bunch of airlines that are very publicly uh, don't make money. Yeah, government-owned airline. Thai Airways was in the news the other day. Um, but the loyalty programs do very well, very very profitable. Yeah, and it's not always. Um, bank revenue. Um, see, a lot of people get caught up and it's all about the points and miles from a card, but in a lot of these programs, the card is actually an acquisition tool for the airline. As in, imagine this, you, you, you don't have the airline card and then you apply for this credit card with the bank, right. the airline logo right. on it, program card, and then those people start flying the airline. It's, it's, so it's backwards. It's custom acquisition for the airline. They start flying the airline. So it's almost like not too concerned with the miles coming in from the card, but more concerned with the people starting to fly the airline. And because you have the airline credit card, you're more likely to fly them. Is that because there's just so much more choice in Asia in terms of carriers and competition in terms of price? Yeah, I mean, yeah. if you had to guess. I trust your professional opinion. Yeah, it's, a, it's a guess, yeah. yeah I would say so. <laughs> it's, um, it's, a, it's a way to lock in. It's basically revenue protection. Okay. Yeah. For, for the And, you know, co-brands generally appeal to... Um, not your top, 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 top frequent flyers, not your sort of your top right. sort of 500 members, but everyone below that. We'll call it the, 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 the mid-tiers. Really, really very popular there. Okay. Yeah. The sort of semi, I don't want to say semi-frequent, but is it people who are still elite tier or is it people who are like just, I mean, yeah, it, 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 so imagine like you've got like a silver gold pattern, yeah. right? So you're like your silver and a gold level, that's where your bulk of your elites are. Right. Yeah. And so they're just, if you add up the total spend in ticket revenue from them, it's going to be a lot more than any other, right, generally. Group. And these, these are the guys that, they open emails still. You know, they're, they're not CEOs. <laughs> people do that? Of big, what's an email? 
they're not, you know, they're not CEO of a big company. Yeah. Where someone else is doing something for them. They're still engaged in marketing material. So they're opening emails, they're applying to things, they're doing it themselves. Whereas if you fly a lot, maybe someone else is doing it for you. You don't care about the marketing because the company's paying for it anyway, you're not yeah. too concerned. So it's really these these middle guys uh, that you can move the needle with, you know, and that's when it comes to, you know, what sort of offers they see when they fly. Yeah. Uh, they'll take up a card, they'll take up all sorts of stuff that you throw at them. Yeah, interesting. And because they're flying a bit more, they've got a bit more discretion. You know, they've, yeah. got, they've got more money to spend on these sorts of things. Whereas, you know, your once a year traveler, are, are they really going to spend an extra 100 bucks a year to, you know, 200 bucks for lounge access? Yeah, maybe so, not. So I say I would argue they're not going to spend the card, the premium card for the lounge access, but the four to six times a year quarterly trip to grandma's house. Right? You're never going to make elite status on that. But you might just might be the type of person that ends up getting the co-brand card because, and even becoming somewhat loyal because of that card in the States because that gets you your first check bag and gets you your quote-unquote priority boarding, which is still like in the back half of the plane. But I think there's a, probably a point where, I don't know the magic numbers, let's say it's four flights, more yeah. sectors a year where you realize how terrible flying can be and you want to take some of the pain out of that experience. And if applying for a credit card that you're probably going to get anyway right. is going to alleviate, some, take out some of the pain out of experience if that's not having to pay a baggage fee or being able to skip a line or yeah. moving from group 10 to group 8 on boarding, you know, if it's some, <laughs> some sort of... Uh, We'll call it the pain relief, you know, yeah. the Panadol effect. You know, if, if it's something that can take away pain, that, that's probably where the sweet spot is. It's cheaper than a shot of morphine? Yeah. <laughs> oh, is that? I know. Maybe it should be a new lead benefit. Uh, <laughs> in the U.S. medical system, I'm quite certain it's cheaper than a shot of morphine. Uh, I can't speak to the Asian version. I uh, haven't been in pharmacy here yet. Uh, let's try that, though. Uh, maybe not in Singapore. Uh, <laughs> um, the other thing I want to talk to you a little bit about is the data. Um, and there's a lot of conversations, you know, data's the new oil, blah, blah, blah. Airline programs, absolute or loyalty programs in general, are absolutely built around the idea of data, right? It's a, it's a marketing program, whatever. But like you sort of alluded to this earlier, like all the shiny things that you collect. There's the the card, there's the check-in, there's the elite status, all those things. That's not. Those are some of those can be manifestations of loyalty, but that's not really what the loyalty program profits from. I think it, it seems to me, um, and this is trying to remember some of the stuff we talked about the other night, but I was pretty jet lagged, so I'm getting it wrong, I'm sure. Uh, but you could replace jet lag with drinking, I guess. I was also <laughs> drinking beer, but yes, and I don't need to replace it. I can do both. <laughs> uh, but how about I start with this? If we look at the simplest measurement of loyalty, sure. so how, would, how do airlines measure loyalty? Like, what's the single determining KPI that they would report yeah. up the food chain? And I mean, the, the, the truth is, there's no real one metric. It's kind of like a, you're, the, you're, you're sitting in a cockpit, you've got all these gauges in front yeah. of you, and the pilot's looking. There's no one gauge that says, the plane's healthy, you're not going to crash. You're kind of looking at the altimeter, you look over here and go, airspeed's good, we're pitched up, landing gears up, flaps up, you know, we're good. Yeah, and you can make a judgment call on things are okay. It's very similar in a loyalty program. Okay. There can be one little gauge that's not doing too well, but it's perfectly fine, perfectly safe, everything's going well. Unless it's the unless it's the MCAS gauge. <laughs> it's broken. <laughs> Don't know how to work that. Yeah, yet. sorry. So the, the newest way... The airline loads are measuring loads. So like the, the biggest, yeah. the number one metric is share of wallet. Okay. Or, or share of flight. Uh, or, or Nick Lemming at Seabury Pacific calls it share of life. Okay. That's depressing. <laughs> so, so share of wallet is basically how much of your total flying activity is with that airline. Right. So if you fly twice a year to grandma's house, you're doing four sectors a year, right? If that's all you're flying, the airline's got 100% of your share of wallet. So tick, right. very happy, right? So the idea is don't bombard them with more offers, emails, yeah. like discounts to this city and this city. Because you're not going to get any more out of them. Right. You're getting 100%. You're getting the maximum possible it, you can get. It would be get. very hard to convince that person to take a third trip to grandma's house. 
Correct. So, whereas you might have a ultra frequent via business travelers doing 100 sectors a year, all in business class, but your airline's only getting 50 of those sectors. So, they're actually more profitable. So, if you look at profitability on revenue, call, right. right? you look at the revenue, it's very high. So, if you compare it to the person travels twice a year, I mean, it's, it's not it's not in debt. You know what I mean? There's right. a lot more revenue coming from this other passenger. But it, one's half loyal and one's full loyal. Exactly. Exactly. So, you'd focus the marketing effort on the person that's actually less loyal, even though they're worth more to the airline. Because you need to know how much headroom there is, how much more space, how much yeah. more you can get out of out of their wallet. Because if... That, that, those 55 tier might be worth say $50,000 right and that means there's 50k on the table that the airline's missing out on so perhaps you're willing to spend on crazy volume of bonus points or some other things to grab that exactly. even though it's someone who always is flying business class exactly and there's ways that airlines can measure this there's uh, I think most decent airlines these days uh, measure uh, is it basically where in the world are you right now and this is uh, this comes back to data. Yeah. Uh, how, how do you measure? What sort of data sources do you need to figure out where someone is right now? Obviously, the obvious thing is look at their flight log and you know where they fly next. Sure, that's easy. But that only gives you only your airline home, home share. Exactly. That, that gives you that, that gives you one of the two numbers. Exactly. Uh, you, you can pull in uh, card scheme data. So Visa, Mastercard, Amex, they will all provide data feeds where you can, uh, especially with a Cobra card, you can get a lot of data out of this. So okay. Like, where is this person spending? Where are the transactions right now? Uh, where are uh, other flights with other airlines have booked. Um, some of that, some of that data is shared. Uh, you look at telco data. So if you're roaming in another country and your that number is the number listed in your 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 loyalty account, yeah. Um, every every like every second, your phone is pinging that mobile phone tower, saying, "I'm over here. I'm over here. I'm over here. I'm over here." When you move towers, it's like I'm on this tower. Now I'm on this tower. And that's how calls are routed through sure. the network, right? And so that data is actually for sale. Yeah. So airlines can buy this data and they could look at you right now and go, "Sess in Singapore." Did he have a flight on an airline to get to Singapore? No. Therefore, we missed out on something. Therefore, um, you know, we're, we're only getting X yeah. percent share of wallet. So they can get an idea of what they're missing out on. And so when, uh, if, if that's trending down over, say, two, three, four, five years, you know, the airline needs to be worried. Yeah. E- even though when they look at the financials, it may not be going down. It might yeah. be going up. But share wallet's going down. That's when, you know, in the future, it's going to be an issue. I mean, this is like the new version of abandoned shopping cart targeting where it's not that I was searching for flights to Singapore. It's that they just happened to know I was in Singapore. And so next month, I'm going to come home and get an email. And I open the app. I open the mobile app. So my, my IP address is going to either have been roaming here or on a local IP network here. Either way, it's going to say Seth was in Singapore when he connected to the app. So when I get home, I can expect the United the United's going to send me, I mean, could have, the, if they processed all the data, what, what they could then say, gosh, Seth, thinking of going to Singapore and send me a targeted promotion. You could, you could mess with them and just open up some VPN connections and like, oh, now I'm in China, or now I'm in Hong Kong, now I'm in Australia, now so if I want So if I want a targeted promotion for my next trip to Hong Kong, a couple months earlier, I should start opening VPNs and have it and logging in. This is the game we're going to play. Give it a shot. We, um, I, I'm going to assume that the airlines don't do it quite that well yet, but it's an interesting concept. Some of the, most of the guys do log this data. I, I believe they log it. I guess I'm wondering how much of that becomes actionable. Yeah, a lot. A lot. You, know, you hear a lot of the airlines that say, we've got all this data, we don't know what to do with it. Look, this, this excuse for it. <laughs> they never say we don't know what to do with it. They say we've got all this data that we're going to do great things with. So, so, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right, right. <laughs> Come on, get your consulting hat on. <laughs> I, I think... That excuse is wearing thin these yeah. days. It really is. I think that three, four, five years ago, that, that was okay. I'm certainly tired of it. Yeah, these days it's so easy to make money from from monetizing data. I, I put yeah. a post on LinkedIn the other day, I saw this. Yeah. Um, if you're in the sort of top 100 airlines in the world, you should be making about 50 million US dollars a year out of your data. That's, the, uh, that's about where we've analyzed. You should be making that out of your... Uh, and that's through 
monetizing data, uh, targeted, very hyper-targeted promotions to specific people, specific yeah. things, they're able to pay for extra things, incremental ticket sales. It's a combination of all these things. But that's about the benchmark where we think all the top $100 should be around. That's a lot of money. Or not. I mean, when you're Delta and you're making how many billion a quarter, does $50 million matter? Well, this $50 million, some of that split into what we call higher margin revenue. Yeah. So it's, it's not selling a basic economy ticket where there's 2% margin. Like this, we're talking, you know, this could be 50% margin. Yeah. So if you were to look at, let's just say this $50 million was 50% margin. That's the equivalent of, I don't have a calculator here, so excuse me, someone's going to call you up on this, but that could be equivalent of like $5 billion in ticket sales, which is very meaningful. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, it's like different money, different types yeah. of money. That's fair. Um, and we were talking a little earlier about some of the promotion stuff, and you sort of alluded to it. If it, you know, not, not that I just you know keep searching for tickets to Hong Kong, so eventually you have to offer me a deal to Hong Kong. Um, and quite frankly, right now I think there's plenty of deals to Hong Kong, but for the wrong reasons. <laughs> uh, but if you're one of the things that I've been intrigued by lately is the mile play promotion from United. They've been running it for a little while now, but in London this past year they shared some of the data. They've only targeted something like nine million of their ninety-ish million. My, uh, mileage plus members <coughs> and so right 10% of the program and they've realized something like 60 million dollars in top line revenue as a result so obviously that's you know I want to say free money because they had to pay out miles to do it so there's some cost to it but also and also like they had to develop all the systems to get there but I was talking to Linda Jojo who's chief digital officer there about the promotion the other day at their media day and one of the things she said is it's not just that we can get some incremental spend from these people in exchange for miles right because that's arguably a transactional decision where the person decides, am I going to spend this much money for that many miles? Um, and, and the airline at the same time says, are we going to sell that this many miles for that much money? Right? That's less the issue or less the goal than if you have someone that only ever buys a basic economy and you give them a targeted promotion to buy a uh, economy plus seat. Or you have, right, that's maybe you get this 55 bucks out of them for buying that seat assignment, but it also might, you know, and you give them a thousand points for doing it or 10,000, whatever the number is. Um, you might convince them if you do it for th- if you have to do it three times. Maybe the fourth and fifth time they'll do it on their own because like, well, oh, actually there's like legroom up here and this doesn't suck so bad. Um, versus if you're that hundred you know business class tickets a year, or maybe you're a domestic, uh, maybe you're a business class on international but not on domestic because you know company policy says that. But you decide to splurge out of your own pocket to you know a couple hundred bucks for the buy up and realize yeah. Maybe this domestic product is, and I wouldn't do this in the United States, but maybe this domestic product is worth buying more. Um, it's a terrible example, but the math sort of worked. Um, her thoughts on this were trying to not just change the immediate behavior in exchange for the points, but to really change long-term behavior and sort of introduce people to new products, introduce people to new destinations, and try to truly change behavior, which in some, in really is what loyalty is supposed to do, right? Loyalty programs are supposed to do. Um, so are we now faced with a world of like, that's that this, this the new world of loyalty that there's no such thing as generic promotions anymore yeah I think so um, is that a, is that a good thing or a bad thing for now I think it's a good thing okay. because it's still new yeah not every airline is hyper personalizing to this degree so when you see these promotions it's, it's or offers, we call yeah. it. It's, it's, it's shiny. It's a new thing. It's like, well, I'll, I'll try it. I've never seen it before. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there will come a point where, imagine if every airline is doing this at the same time. It, we all get, we'll get a bit jaded and they'll have to innovate. They'll have to do something else. Yeah. But for, for now, I think it's, yeah. it's quite good. It also, especially for the person that has multiple airlines, right, that is a split customer, if I've now got to do the extra analysis, not just price and schedule and how many points I was going to earn, but also, what are the bonus point opportunities against these different things based on my personal offers? At any given point in time, I could see that being either terribly exciting for the person who is truly obsessed with the, the game of the numbers or 
horribly frustrating of just like, oh, they made these things too complicated again. Um, True. You get, you get personalization wrong. There's, there's a problem. Yeah. Big problem. Uh, and this, this is a bit basic, but if the airline doesn't know who's paying for your tickets, you can't really accurately give them an offer. And it's not always transparent who's paying for your tickets. Maybe you're paying for it. Right. Be being reimbursed. Sure. Yeah. And if my old job, I had my own card for that. So, yeah. Exactly. And uh, and if a, if a company's paying for it, that's, it's like it's pre-tax money is being paid. But whereas if you're paying for it, it's generally post-tax money. So right. actually, you're paying more. Right. If it was the same price ticket, the company, you know. So there's it's a little bit of dynamics there yeah. in the type of money being spent. Um, the Cathay Pacific, uh, so two to three years ago, they shared, or Asia Master, um, the loyalty arm. Right. They said they, they don't send um, generic uh, member-wide emails anymore. They, this was years ago. Full stop. Full stop. It's, it's just targeted. Interesting. So it's just it's broken up into segments, and those segments are there's hundreds of different types of segments of people, and it's something specifically for these people, specifically this group, this group, this group, and this group. And, this group, and they just A-B test the heck out of this stuff uh, to see what works, what doesn't. And, of course, these members, are, they're, they're changing groups as well. Because, you know, you sure. might change jobs and you stop flying, and suddenly you're another group. You cancel one credit card, you get another, and you're in another group. Or suddenly, out of the blue, you pay for a first-class ticket, and bam, you're in another group. Because did they look at how much I spent on that first-class ticket? <laughs> Are they that sophisticated? <laughs> no comment. Uh, <laughs> but so, I mean, you get the idea because it, it, if, you, if you're paying full price for first class, you're a different type of traveler, sure. even though you might have the same credit co brand card as someone that only ever flies an economy. Yeah. So, you're actually a diff- totally different segment, right? Uh, and so, they, uh, these little programs, they also look at the profitability of each segment or persona a lot of them yeah. as well. Uh, it's funny you mentioned that. The, uh, I was on the Singapore A380 in suites from San Francisco to Hong Kong, continued on to Bangkok on Thai's 380. Oh, yeah. Uh, we switched in Hong Kong. I got both 380s first the same day. Uh, it was an award ticket. And this was Singapore screwed up and published a bunch of inventory they weren't supposed to. This is years ago now. Um, but it, was, it wasn't it was available for suites class. So they booked, I booked it on this 777W, but it wasn't where it was available. And then they changed the plane. Oh, nice. And, they, and, it, and it ended up the day I did it was the first day of the new surface. So it was a huge celebration and they had a party in San Francisco and all this other bit. Uh, but, so we get to San Francisco and we go to check in and walk downstairs I actually just went down to take we were in the lounge waiting because we had to connect the from New York and I went downstairs to take a picture of the plane and they were setting up for the party and whatever and there's some executive sitting there it's like oh I'm like yeah I just want to see the plane you know I'm excited I'm on the flight and I said oh where are you seated it's like I'm you know two whatever 2k or whatever the middle pair of seats was there's like oh I was like, yeah, my wife and I are very excited to get in suites. We came back later, and she was she was calling me by name, calling my wife by name. She knew everything about us. She gone and looked. I was like, these are our suites passengers. We must treat them very well. And I couldn't help but laugh. I'm like, you didn't want me to be in this seat. I was never supposed to be here. I'm not what you think I am. But I didn't say that part out loud. I just smiled and went along with it. I had to warn my wife, like, they're going to call us by name when we get down there. Don't be freaked out by that. She knows who we are. So that, that can change, but that uh, could change the long-term value of my marketing if they thought to do that. You could also... I think if, if if all airlines are doing, I love this yeah. if, if if everyone's doing this kind of marketing, it, it opens itself up to even more gaming, right? Even even more. Uh, like uh, uh, I've got a uh, Amex uh, charge card, and okay, and I know that Amex uh, record where you use your card around physical trans sure. to sell transaction. So I got you know, supplementary wife from my other half, and and um, she used to work at Cafe Pacific cabin crew so she was always flying around the world to place and I always used to say so you, to her, you, look, you look like a hot, you look like a really really diverse destination traveler huh? <laughs> exactly so I used to tell her just just make one transaction everywhere you go just just a small thing just so you yeah. ping up in the system and they know that you're there and so therefore when they look at the, the spend on the card they go where's the airline spend we must be missing out on all this cash, all these transactions. That's what I wanted them to think. Yeah, I got so many offers off the back of that, like flight, like the travel offers. Interesting. Yeah, all sorts of stuff. So 
But you, you know, if, if everyone is gaming it like that, yeah. then what? How do you improve the system to like, take that gaming element? Like, it gets even more difficult, yeah. right? So you got to have the is married to flight crew flag. Is <laughs> allowed to fly ID ninety all the time flag. <laughs> we don't want to target those folks. Yeah, um, actually, they, people fly stuff. Right? They they fly a lot. You know, yeah. they they spend a lot. Yeah, um, absolutely. And then just not on airfare. Less on airfare. Oh, exactly. They're still spending There's food and so they have huge travel expenses. That's not just not airfare. Yeah, exactly. Hotel's not always cheap, so... Yeah. Um, leaving the professional side of things, switching to the personal side of things a little bit. Uh, favorite ridiculous trip you've taken for the sake of points? I'm necessarily going to call it a mileage run, but, you know... Yeah, I've done many mileage runs. Uh, many years ago in Australia, um, when Qantas, uh, they, they had Platinum... They just launched Platinum 1. Okay. And, which is their... Top, they, top, they, top they're tier. super tier. They're super tier. Uh, like the concierge key yeah. type, type level. And uh, so I, I qualified the first year. Great. And I was a bit short the second year, and I thought, well, I, I'm nowhere near it. I'm 50% of the way there. Uh, and it's uh, 3,600 status quo, which okay. is it's a, a lot. lot. It's a lot. Anyway, I was really short, and um, I, I, I decided, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go for it again. And Qantas had this, this deal, they called a, an anytime seat. So you could burn your, your points for a revenue seat. Okay. If there was an award inventory available, but it would book into like a full J, a full D class. So you'd, you'd earn as if you're paying cash for the right? But it okay. costs more miles than a, a standard award right. redemption, right? Okay. So, so, I so their rule buster booking would book into a revenue bucket. You pay double points, but you get a revenue ticket instead of an award seat. Something like that. Essentially. Loosely, something like that. So I, I burned, oh, geez, I guess half a million points or something. And, and uh, so I was in Brisbane at the time. I was living okay. in Brisbane. And so I booked um, three days of my life. I, it was a Townsville, Brisbane, Darwin, Brisbane, Townsville. That's one day. Okay. It's a full day. All in business class. So it's, it's okay. So that back to back, two days in a row. And I had to position myself into Townsville and I did right. a status run by um, Sydney, Auckland, Sydney, Cairns to get, like, it was ridiculous. Okay. To get. Where's Townsville? Uh, Nick Cairns. Okay. North of Brisbane. Okay. Up on the trip. Two, up two, the coast. two hours north of, of Brisbane. Okay. Up on the coast. So I had back to back days. And so the first day, everything went fine. On the second day, I had, you know, four sectors ahead of me that day. Yeah. The first flight was delayed by two hours, which I just missed every. I yeah. wasn't be. I wasn't going to miss every one. full day. Yeah. So I called up the airline and said, "Look, I uh, <laughs> blown it today." I said, "Look, um, you can see what I'm doing here. <laughs> How about just get me back to Brisbane, bring my flight tomorrow for today, right. to position myself back home because that was a right uh, revenue ticket was. Bring that forward. I'll fly me I'll home just today. Home. Just give me all the credits I was going to earn today anyway, um, and we'll just call it even." And they're like, yeah, okay, cool. And so, that, you know, I yeah. obviously re-qualified off the back of that. Now, about a week later, Qantas invited me to this, this cocktail reception um, in for their Brisbane. Mm-hmm. For their highest value customers for, of the Platinum One group. Yes, there was, <laughs> was about, I don't know, maybe 100 people. Okay. You know, the, the CEO of loyalty was there, a nice speech. And talking to one of the, the ladies in the loyalty team, and she just so sadly said, Mark, um, no, no, I was, t- I was telling her how, how Platinum One could be improved. It could be a lot better. And I, it just... Lack something. Yeah. And she goes, but yeah, but it works perfectly fine. I, no, I said, no, it doesn't. It could be better. And she's like, yeah, but you just did a status run to keep it. So it must be good. <laughs> I'm like, how does she know? I didn't tell anyone I did, did a status run. Yeah. And she knew. So and she had a good point, though. You know, yeah. it obviously changed my behavior. You know, I earned all these, these, these points from flying credit cards. I did a status run on purpose, deliberately to, to and, earn it. And burned a whole lot of points to do it, which is the not necessarily the best revenue for them, but it's pretty close. It's not bad. For me, it was, I kept it for an extra year yeah. and they do uh, soft landings. So okay. I had an extra year of platinum after that. So essentially got three years out of it. Of it. Um, <laughs> I think that's my craziest one. That's, that's a good one. I like it. Oh. I like it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Really appreciate uh, the chat, the insight, the bits we got out of this. Um, I'll 
post a link to some of your LinkedIn stuff because I know that you, you put a lot of information up there. Um, that's really interesting, very data-driven, um, as you know, loyalty programs should be, but data-driven insight to the data-driven programs of the data. Okay, to the data. I'm really active on LinkedIn. I post a lot of stuff yeah. there, a lot of insight. Uh, also, my blog, travel.daily.com. Uh, it's, yeah. all, it's all for free. There's no advertising. There's no nothing, but please subscribe to me now. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So we'll put some links to that in the show notes. Um, for the rest of you out there, you can find us on Twitter at Lines. You can find us on uh, more.smorelines.com. Leave us a note. Leave us a comment. Uh, let us know if you like talking some of these sort of in-depth, crazy friends of mine that I'm going to talk to anyway, so I guess I don't really care if you like them or not, but, you know, I'd like to be good to know if you actually are enjoying this stuff or not. Uh, and uh, hit us up on Patreon if, you, you know, you want to, because i got to go buy Mark Singapore Price beers now, and that's going to that's gonna hurt. Uh, anyway, that's it. Take care. Safe travels.